Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. We are going to start a new series on the book of Romans this morning. Why a series on the book of Romans? Uh, First of all, it's an extremely essential book of the Bible we've never studied in this time slot. We've done it in discipleship class and other times, but never here. So it's a good time to, to come and study that together and worship God through it. Secondly, it's, it's a book that gives a lot of clarity on the gospel, and it's still a confusing concept to a lot of folks. The book of Romans clears that up. It's a book that clears up the confusion many have with law and grace. Um, that's big theme of this book as well. It's also proven to be a book that is extremely fruitful in the body of Christ. It changes lives. Um, and I want you to think about that as, as we go through it. To give you an example, uh, St. Augustine, 4th century, was reading Romans 13. As he was reading Romans 13, he was saved. It's so radically transformed him that he made Christianity the dominant force in the Roman world in his lifetime. Um, Martin Luther was another one. He couldn't get past uh, Romans 117. The righteous live by faith or by righteousness by faith. And he, he just couldn't get by it. And it finally changed him. And Martin Luther went on to start the Protestant Reformation as a result of being changed through this book. John Bunyan went to jail for preaching. While he was in jail, he was meditating and studying the themes of the book of Romans. And through that came uh, Pilgrim's Progress. And what a classic that's taught thousands and thousands how to live Christianly. It emerges out of this book. And then John Wesley was listening to Luther's sermons on Romans, when he says his heart was transformed, and then he went off and started the great awakening of the 18th century. If you look back on our Christian world, so much fruit has emerged out of the book of Romans. So I'm praying that God will bless us with that kind of fruit, that kind of transformation, that kind of uh, understanding of the gospel, of law, of grace. In this book, we will meet Jesus and be transformed. Well, I want to begin right with verse 1. Let's go through. I'm going to try to go through as fast as I can because it's a big book. But even if you just give uh, a half a chapter a week, you know, that's you may be 30 weeks in. So it's, it's a lot to undertake. But let's, I will try to go faster than, than slow just so that we get through it in my lifetime. Okay? Gen- uh, Romans chapter 1, uh, the first 17 verses. Let me read it to you. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I have served in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. I don't know about you, but when I open a letter in the mail, uh, one that I, you know, I don't know who it's coming from, I, a lot of times I'll, I will read the first line and just throw it in the trash. Well, I thought about that as I read the first line of this. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is spam mail. Now, how many Romans would have picked up this letter and said, what is this, Spam? Paul, a, a servant of Jesus, do you not know a Roman governor, Pilate himself, had Jesus killed? He's a dead man. And right here in the first line, you start off that you don't even talk about his resurrection. You talk that as though he is your living master. And you're his bondservant. Really? That's where you're trying to take me? You, know, you just want to throw that aside as that, that can't be truth. That can't be what he's talking about, and yet that's where Paul begins. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle. Paul begins by talking about his service to Christ. Reminding me of 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 to us all. It says, do you not know you have been bought with a price? You don't live the way you want to live. You live as a servant to Christ. Paul, in the, the book of um, Galatians, he said to them right off the bat, he says, don't ever accuse me of being a men-pleaser. He says, if I was a men-pleaser, I wouldn't be calling myself a bondservant of Christ. He says, men-pleasers serve men. I serve Christ. I am a bondservant of Christ. If there's anybody I'm pleasing, it's pleasing Jesus. How many of us think about ourselves that way? You know, who are you? I am a bondservant of Christ. I don't live this life, this earth. I don't write these letters. I don't do this preaching because it pleases me or it pleases the people I'm talking to. I'm not an entertainer. I'm a bondservant of Christ. That's the way Paul begins this letter, not trying to please me. And I, another thing to kind of think about the Romans. The Romans knew who killed Christ. In Rome, during the time of Paul's writing, one out of five, 20% of the population were slaves. You didn't have a credit industry. If you couldn't pay your credit card off that month, you became an indentured servant. You paid it off with your life. 
And so those who couldn't live on the terms of society, they became slaves to the others. One out of five were slaves. And Paul is introducing himself as a slave to Christ. Really? Is that where you want to go? Is that how you want to introduce yourself? Is that your commendation? He's introducing himself to people he's not met. This is what he's putting on his resume. This is how he wants to be known. I'm a bond servant of Christ. You know, sometimes we we don't uh, think that's a good thing, serving others, being enslaved to someone else. Reading Luther's commentary on this, Luther said, um, this, is, this title of being a bondservant of Christ is overwhelmingly terrifying. Think about it a minute. What Luther meant by it, he says, he says overwhelmingly terrifying when you consider the exalted nature of such a position. It will overwhelmingly terrify you if you stop to consider the exaltation God has given us when He exalts us to the status. You know, we like with some of the songs we just sang, we like the status of sons of God, and we use that. But we don't perhaps frequently enough use the status of a bond servant of Christ. Think of the significance of serving other people. In our society, we have lots of jobs uh, that are service-oriented jobs where we are serving someone. We have here people who serve the preacher or serve teachers. Are you a teacher's aide or a preacher's aide? But you are serving them and helping them get the words of life into other people. That's pretty significant. We have physician assistants, but you're serving somebody who is skilled to give life and healing to someone. It's pretty significant that that you're coming alongside to assist them and serve them in that. It's just as significant to see yourself serving your husband or serving your wife or serving your parents who have been called and designed by God to Promote and train up children in the way they should go so that they live in godliness and holiness. And you get to help them do that. You could even be a a bat boy serving a great home run hitter. And that's fairly significant because without your assistance, he doesn't get the job done. Now take that to the next level. We are not just serving some of the most significant roles on earth. We are servants to the King of Kings. To the Lord of Lords. To the Savior of men. I'm serving the one who has saved my life. I'm serving the one who saved my wife. Who saved my kids. Who saves my grandchildren. And I get to assist in that wonderful, eternal, life-changing, substantive work of Christ. Hallelujah. What a glorious thing to be a bondservant of Christ. That's a terrifying, significant, overwhelmingly significant position. And Paul gets it. Which is why he uses it so frequently. 
we miss it because we don't typically see ourselves serving Christ. We want to see ourselves serving us. Paul says, I want to commend to you Christ because I'm his personal assistant. I'm his servant. I'm indentured to him. I find it to be a great joy and a great excitement. Well, we serve Christ. I mean, realize that we have been hand-selected for this service. Paul goes on. A bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Well, think about what it means to be called as an apostle. Paul is, is basically just saying, my life is significant not because of what I've done, but because of what's been done to me. To be called is, is something somebody else does. I have been acted upon. I've been called out and brought to this position of apostleship. Um, we know that the apostles, the scripture says, Ephesians 2, 20 says, the, the church is founded upon the prophets and the apostles. Apostle is a foundational position. It's somebody who has seen Jesus firsthand. Understands his death, burial, and resurrection firsthand. Paul says, I, I am one of those. I am one of the founders of the New Testament church. And I am one of the founders because I was called by God to do that. Now I want to ask you a question. When did that calling happen? When did Paul get called? You know, a lot of times we say, well, it was on the Damascus Road that uh, Paul was persecuting the church and God, Jesus met him there, met him firsthand. So it's that firsthand dialogue. And that's where he called him. I want you to go back further than that. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. I want you to see it. Galatians 1, verse 15. Paul says, But when God, who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. When did Paul get called out? He says, He says, I was thought of and being planned even in my mother's womb. We sometimes talk about people who were born again before they were born the first time. John the Baptist was born again in his mother's womb. Or Isaiah was born again, Jeremiah, in his mother's womb. But here we see that happened to Paul. I mean, can you imagine looking over God's shoulder in heaven, and this is one of his assistants saying, what you doing today, God? He says, oh, making a new baby. Oh, really? Who are you making? I'm going to make a man named Saul. And I'm going to set him apart to preach the gospel. Wow. That's our God. Even in his mother's womb. He was being called. In other words, when God needed a founder for the church, when he, when he needed to complete the apostleship, God didn't say, okay, Judas, you know, he's messed up. He's gone. Uh, my disciples, can you go get me some, um, you know, some, some resumes? Let's, let's do some interviews. We got to select an apostle. Nothing happens by chance for God. 
God says, no, even before the foundation of the world, even before you knew a baby was being made, I was calling the Apostle Paul. And that's extremely significant when you, when you think about the path it took for him to get there. Because Paul came out of his mother's womb. Then he went to the, the best schools in the world for religious education. And he was trained up in the scriptures. And then he goes off, graduates, and he goes off to persecute the church. And he's selecting people to die or be imprisoned. And there's where God meets him and says, okay, enough of that. You've been called to be an apostle. You've been called to be my servant. And God selects Paul for that job. I hope it gives you some picture into your own life when you, you read text that says, you know, you were predestined before the foundation of the world to see that our lives are not by chance. That God doesn't just look down through time. God goes way back into the past. God is the one who's made us. God is the one who's formed us in our mother's womb. God is the one who has selected us to be his, who calls us out of darkness into light, who calls us out of sin into holiness. And he was the one who had called the apostle Paul. uh, And he set him apart for the gospel. Now, the gospel is a significant word. It's found here in verse 1. By the way, I need to move on. I'm only on verse 1. I said we're going to do 17 verses, right? It's found here in verse 1. It's found again in verse 9. It says, For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel. It's found again in verse 15. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel. It's found again in verse 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul is called to preach, to teach the gospel. Oh. He's to make it widely known as far as the world is found, taking it to the Gentiles, taking it even to Rome. That's what Paul is doing. He is set apart. What is the gospel? For those of you who have been introduced to it, the word gospel simply means good news. The gospel is good news. In this context, it is the good news that Jesus Christ became man. God's Son became man. He lived life according to the Scriptures. He died according to the Scriptures. He was buried according to the Scriptures. He was raised again according to the Scriptures. And He lives enthroned in heaven according to the Scriptures, interceding for us, enabling us who believe in Him to live and never perish. That's good news. That's what Paul has been called to preach. That's what he says. I'm eager to preach that to you. And he says, that's going to lead, verse 3 and 4, let me just move on. Concerning his son, I'm preaching this concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, for his namesake among you, also the call of Christ. Grace and peace to you. So Paul says, this is my calling. I have been called to bring about the obedience of faith. Now that's an interesting phrase. You don't typically hear people talk about the obedience of faith. It's Faith here is a response to a command. When you believe, you are obeying. 
It's an obedience of faith that's being spoken of here. And, and a lot of times we don't quite think of it that way. We, we live in this society that thinks that we have freedom to do whatever we want whenever we want on our terms. And here we're being told that Paul's about the business of bringing about an obedience of faith. You know, what is that? that that's uh, not an invitation. It doesn't say invitation of faith. It says an obedience of faith. We don't stop our services, end our services saying, we invite you to believe in Christ. We invite you to consider Christ. We don't invite. The reason we don't invite, because that's not what the Scripture teaches. That's not what Christ did. That's not what Paul preached. We declare the obedience of faith. If we tell you, you know, it's up to you, it's up to you, you have all the authority, you just choose Christ if you want to or don't choose Christ. Well, if you do choose Christ, you've done it on your terms, you've done it in, in your strength, you haven't changed the thing. That you were already doing that, so you're still in the bondage of sin. That's not freedom. That's not good news. But if the good news is, before the foundation of the world, God has hand-selected His church And he so ordered life that his church comes together. And if you have been brought together and you understand that grace of God that he has selected you and he entrusts to you the gift of faith, you must obey. It's a command. You must believe in Jesus. He is your only hope. You must trust him. You must be his servant. You must do what he says. He is yours only that way. It's an obedience of faith. And you say, wow, really? I get to? I get to serve the King of Kings? I get to assist the Savior of the world? I get to be transformed from darkness to light? Wow. That's incredibly good news that such grace comes even to to a Gentile, to me. And that's what Paul is preaching. That's so awesome and so cool. What he is saying is every gospel saved sinner becomes a gospel sanctified servant. Not only talks about the servanthood we have under Christ, but he also talks about the supplications, his prayers because of Christ. Verses 8 through 15. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for y'all. And I'm praying about y'all. And I'm thanking God for y'all. And he goes on to say, He says, I, um, um, verse 10, always in my prayers, I'm making requests for y'all. Paul spends much time praying. It's kind of like the farmer. He knows he's going to go preach to the Romans, and it's like the farmer working the soil. He wants to produce a crop. He wants to have fruit. And the way he does that is through prayer. And so he's praying. He's praying for the Romans. He's praying for these people he'll meet. He's praying for everybody who hears his words. He's praying for those he's going to run into, for those he's going to preach the gospel to. He is praying. Um, 
sometimes I think one of my, my most significant jobs is the job of prayer. And I pray for you. I pray for you by name. I pray for you by picture using the church directory. I pray for you by prayer requests as you send them in by email. I'm always praying without ceasing I'm praying. I don't have to be in the same town. I don't have to be in the same country like Paul was. He wasn't even in the same country with the Romans at the time. But he was praying. And his prayers were fruitful and effective and God's tool and means to bless the Romans. You should, in my opinion, always be paying somebody to pray for you. Because it's how God uses so much in life. He brings it about through prayers. Jesus even told his disciples, there's things that just will not happen apart from prayer. Pray for me. I pray for you. I want people praying for me without ceasing. Pray for every, do you pray for everyone in your family? Every day, without ceasing. Do you pray for people on your street? Do you pray for people in your neighborhood? Do you pray for every client you serve? Do you pray for everybody in this people group known as New Covenant? Do you pray? Paul said, I earnestly pray. Because I earnestly want to preach to this group. And the preaching is not going to be effective. And what are we praying? We're praying for life change. We're praying for the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. And that's only going to come out through prayer. Well, Paul is praying. Do we pray? The gospel leads us to pray. Um, And it's a prayer to see not only preaching, but to see it happen through fellowship. He says, says, I want to impart stuff to you. I know you're going to impart stuff to me. I know we're going to be together encouraged. Verse 11, we're going to be together established. He says, my part is to impart some spiritual gift to you. And he says, I'm going to do that through preaching the gospel to you. Notice Paul's earnest desires here. It's prayer. When you pray, what are you praying for? Paul didn't say, you know, I'm writing this letter to the Romans. I, I, really, I really have this burning desire to see the streets of Rome. I can't wait to tour this magnificent city. I can't wait to camp by your shores. I can't wait to go into your mega theaters and, and, and witness one of the sporting events that y'all are so good at. I can't wait to do that. I can't wait to eat at some of the high-class restaurants you have in this place. All of those were real possibilities. And sadly, those are our prayers. Lord, let me have a good vacation. Let me eat some good food. Let me get to some good places. Let me see some sights and things before I die. Paul says, no, no. That's not my prayer request. Lord, enable me to find fruit in lives of the people I meet, in them, in me. Let us get together and let us worship. Let us have the preaching of the word come to bear on our hearts and lives that we're transformed as servants of Christ. Is that our prayer? Paul says, I earnestly, I eagerly want to preach the gospel to you. Why? Why would, why would anybody want to preach? 
As you think about that, is the gospel so important in this text? As Paul says, it's so important part of this text as he eagerly wants to preach it. Why preaching? Let me give you four things. I didn't put it on your outline, but four reasons why we need preaching. Preaching is God's tool for faith. Preaching is God's tool for our strengthening. Preaching is God's tool for our equipping. And preaching is God's tool for our meeting Jesus. Let me show that to you in the text. First of all, preaching is God's tool for faith. Look over in the book, Romans 10, 14 through 16. Paul's going to get there. He says, how, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear him without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent, just as it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And the context is that this hearing of the word of Christ is through preaching. Preaching is God's tool to bring us, to give us this gift of faith. Someone first has to preach. And we have to hear that preaching. And then the Holy Spirit uses that, and He uses the preacher as just a vessel to give the gift of faith. And faith is more than just an initial believing in Christ. It's, it goes on and on and on. But faith is, it comes to us through preaching. Second, I want us to see preaching not only is God's tool for faith, but it's God's tool for strengthening. It's in Romans 1, verse 11. is one place. Verse 11 says, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. My translation. Some of your translations may literally be strengthened. Through the preaching of the word, we are strengthened, are more fully established in the grace God has given us. I'll give you another passage. Let's also look at Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans 16, 25. He says, Now to him who's able to establish you. See, there's that word again. To him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. It's through the preaching that we're, we're more and more established and strengthened. Look over next page if you have a written Bible. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's through preaching that we are strengthened. It's through that we are empowered. It is the power of God to establish us in all graces that God wants to give us. Do we need power? Do we need to be strengthened? Do we need that encouragement? Do we need faith? Yes. God's tool, the preaching of His Word. Third, God also uses um, uh, preaching to equip. He makes this real plain, and he'll, he'll say it in Romans uh, 10, 11, and 12. But let us just look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. And see it there. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 11. And he gave some as apostles 
and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, teachers. In other words, preachers. Why? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And it goes on for the next few verses until we all grow up uh, in love, using our gifts to one another. But how, how does the church grow up? How does the church become stronger in love and stronger in unity? He says, by someone standing up and preaching. A pastor, teacher, equipping the saints. All of us should be preoccupied with church growth. By church growth, our own individual growth, as well as our corporate growth. We are to be causing the body of Christ to grow up. But that growing up, God says, the tool I'm going to use to implement that is preaching. The preacher and teacher's job is to equip the saints to love one another and to use their gifts and to use those gifts for one another so that the whole body of Christ grows up together. Preaching is used uh, for our equipping to be who we're supposed to be. It's used for our strengthening. It's used for our faith. But fourth, preaching is God's tool for meeting Jesus. For being subdued to his word and standing in awe of his worth and his glory. There's a scripture verse that every time I read it, it just causes me to tremble. And that verse is Ephesians 3 verse 8. And you've probably not memorized it because it wasn't written to you. It was written to me. And it's written to other people who preach. Ephesians 3, 8 says, To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace is given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Now, how do you do that? To me, the least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. How does a fathomable person preach the unfathomable? And how does a fathomable person talking to fathomable people, how do we understand the unfathomable? And yet, that's my job assignment. David, I've called you to preach to these Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. The only way I see that that can happen, which is why it causes me to tremble, is the only way I can see that the unfathomable can be explained is the unfathomable has to show up. God uses a vessel, a preacher, to show up and to reveal himself and to explain himself. And that's why in this service, where you don't get it on a tape a lot of times, you don't get it by listening uh, to any device, you get it in this place because God is using a preacher and somehow, some way, through fathomable people, God shows up and he meets you and you begin to feel and understand something you've never felt or understood before because the unfathomable riches and worth and glory and awesomeness of Christ enters through this tool called preaching. Paul says, I'm eager to get there and do that for you. 
We need the preaching of the Word of God. It will never be dispensed. Because God uses it for His people. And Paul says, that's why I must come. That's why I must give it to you. Well, let me just go on in Romans 1, the text, verses 13 through 15. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you, and I've been prevented, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm I'm under obligation both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. And, you know, they could easily be thinking, which is why I think he's saying all this, Paul, you're a Jew. We know Jesus was a Jew. We know God spoke to the Jews, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were Jews. We're Greeks. We're Gentiles. We're Romans. Paul says, yeah, I get that. But I'm coming. He says, I've been wanting to come to you. He says, I was called to be the apostle and the preacher to the Gentiles. God is doing this new thing. I know it, it went to the Jews, but he says, it's coming to the Gentiles. And I'm eager to get to you and to bring this good word to you. Don't think that you're beyond this. This is specifically for you. Verse 15, so so my part is I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. His plan was to say God's national church, his Jewish church, is going international. It already has. I hear about your faith in Christ all over the world. He says, so my job is to go all over the world and go to these Gentile groups and to preach the gospel. He says, I'm eager to do it. Um, it's no longer a Jewish thing anymore. Not at all. Well, what am I going to say? Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed. He talks about salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Yes, it was to the Jew first. What does that mean? I think it's just a, it's just a historical priority is his point. Yes, it was to the Jew first. Let's move move past that. It's no longer just for the Jew. It's beyond the Jews to the Gentiles. Yes, God spoke to Abraham, the father of our faith, first, and to the Jews. But now, the power of God for salvation to everyone, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. It goes also to beyond the Jew to the Greek. That's his point. He's not ashamed to go to everyone. Um, And why? It's righteousness. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Uh, Faith to faith, I think it's just, again, it's just showing the process. The faith that brings you to conversion, the faith that grows you in Christ, the faith that continues to grow you unto obedience. It's a constant growing in Christ as it's written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, literally, that last phrase, the the righteous man shall live by faith, could be rendered the righteous by faith shall live and I like that the righteous by faith shall live and I think this is what gripped Luther when he understood it he says we're righteous by faith he was convinced he was righteous by works and he kept reading this and looking at it over and over and says no it literally means righteous by faith And those who are righteous by faith are those who really live. When he understood that, he says, that's what I need. 
I need to be one who is righteous by faith. And Paul says, that's what I come to preach to you. That's the good news. Is that God makes us righteous by putting Christ into us. And Christ, you can meet Christ. Christ can come into you. Through preaching, through hearing, you can get faith. And through this same hearing, you get strengthened. You go from faith to faith. Through this same hearing, you get equipped. You go from faith to faith. Through this same hearing, you live. You're righteous by faith. Paul, what a, said, what a message. What good news. Well, let me wrap it up. I didn't want you to just to get all of this and not leave with some action points. What, what do you take away? I think, first of all, you see here a devoted servant, servant of Christ. How, how devoted are we? Are we gospel servants? Are we serving the cause of Christ? Are we serving Christ? Are we servants who are getting out Christ? Um, is the primary thing on our resume that we are bondservants of Christ? When people say, well, who are you? What, what do you do? Well, I'm a bondservant of Christ. What? I'm a bondservant of Christ. Yeah, I've gone to the best schools. I have the best education. I've got my doctorate and all these things. But primarily, I'm a bondservant of Christ. That's where Paul was. He chose to commend himself to others as a servant of Christ and the gospel. Do we see ourselves in service for Christ. Do we see how highly significant that is? That that really is our chief commendation. That we have been hand selected to be the assistants to the King of Kings. And we are bondservants of Christ. Secondly, I want you to see the need to be prayer warriors. Are we constantly praying for others like Paul was praying for the Romans and he was praying for the Romans because he wanted to have fertile soil for the gospel and do we constantly pray like I said for everyone in your home are you you can pray for them by name you know them are you praying for your husband are you praying for your wife are you praying for your children are you praying for your grandchildren are you praying for every client you serve? Are you praying for everybody on your to-do list, your prospect list? Are you praying for all your uh, patients? And then are you praying for the equipping of the church that we will be built up together in love, in unity? Are you praying for this people group? I love the, the, our pictorial directory. Whether you have it electronically, I have it both, I have it three different ways. I got it on my laptop, I got it on my phone, I got the paper copy. I love going through our church directory and praying for you. We need to be devoted to prayer. Because it's prayer that God uses to change things. And then third, see, are we gospel driven like the Apostle Paul for the salvation and for the sanctification of the church. You know, he makes this ending statement. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is that? In the text, why would he have that conclusion? I'm convinced now after studying it more that he has that conclusion because he was not ashamed to be a bondservant of Christ. When we find our highest commendation is to be a bondservant of Christ... We won't be ashamed 
of the gospel. If you're ashamed to be called a servant of Christ, then you don't really want to talk about the message of Christ. But if you're thrilled at being a servant of Christ, then that service is to talk about the message of Christ. And until we fully come to grips with what it means to be a bondservant of Christ, we're going to be ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power, for its teaching, for its instruction. It's able to pierce us to the bone, to convict us of sin, to grow us and transform us into the image of Christ. Father, let us see Jesus. Let us be more and more like Jesus. Help us to understand this grace we have been given. That the righteous are righteous by faith. And then they live. Lord, let us see the glories and the wonder of life in Christ. So that we're not ashamed to share it. To make it our passion. To make it our desire for others. So that we're earnestly praying. And earnestly using the gifts you've imparted to us. To that end. Lord, grow your church. Be fruitful among us. Transform us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.